Hello, this is Angelica Yingst, and you're listening to Centered, grounded conversations about the metaphysical. Hi, it's November. It is here. This is Angelica Yingst, and I am here with your November tarot and earth medicine reading. If you are starting this month off already sick of it, me too, yo, me too. (laughs) This is not for the faint of heart, friends, because... Mars is in retrograde in Gemini, and it started October 30th. What were, where were you at on October 30th? What were you mad about? <laughs> I can tell you what started happening for me, but Mars is in retrograde in Gemini, and me of the Gemini rising tribe is already feeling this crap bubbling up all over the place, and I'm noticing it with you, friends. I'm noticing it with people driving. I'm noticing on social media. My friends are getting angry about things they should have been angry about a long time ago, but it's a thing. It's not just you, but it's also just you because (laughs) this is what we're dealing with. All right, and we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. it. This is like the brunt of what I actually wrote about this month because I think it is important to talk about anger. And Mars, the planet of sovereignty, agency, power, anger, rage, this is the energy we're kind of moving into November carrying with us. We're right in the middle of eclipse season, which is, you know, already emotionally charged. The sun is in Scorpio, which is a fixed water sign that's associated with the planets of Mars and Pluto. So they're comfortable with the shadow side of emotions, of power. That is their thing. And, you know, they're comfortable with transformation, annihilation, transmutation. So, you know, Scorpio's just like, bring it, dude, bring it. Scorpio's tarot card is death. And so when we're working in Scorpio, we can, or whatever sign, you can look at what their card is if you are more versed in talking tarot to understand the energy of that card. So looking at death, what are we doing? We're not quite reborn yet. We're actually dying. So when we're comfortable in the shadow lands and we go deep, death becomes this way of really examining and looking at unacceptable things. So let's talk about Mars retrograde in Gemini because I think it's an elephant in the room that we really need to talk about. (laughs) So on October 30th, Mars stationed retrograde in Gemini. And this is probably one of those important things that we talked about in the beginning of the year that we're like, oh, that's in October. We don't have to worry about that. Well, it's here now, folks. And what it does is we're kind of looking at every thought pattern, every behavior, every boundary that gets crossed that ends up restricting our power. And so Mars, Mars, Mercury, and Venus are the closest planets to the sun. So their retrogrades are shorter than other planets, the outer planets. So sometimes, like, for example, like we'll be in a, you know, uh, Uranus uh, retrograde for years, you know, for half a year. Mars retrograde uh, usually isn't this long, but we have it from October 30th to January 12th. So that means we're in it for a while. And um, 
what I should say is Mars doesn't stay in a sign for more than like two months or something like that. And now we're, we're also going to be in Gemini for a while to like March or something. So we work with when we get Mars retrogrades, like I said, they happen every two years. And when they happen, it's that time to scrutinize and look at our power, our anger and our agency. So one of the things that, I, you know, I started to say and then got sidetracked is those closer planets are going to affect us more. That's why Mercury retrogrades get such a bad um, reputation, right? Or uh, Venus retrograde. They're, they're the closest planets to us. Not that we don't get affected by the retrogrades and the far off planets. It's just they're not going to affect us as much. And that's important to remember. So when we have a Mars retrograde every two years, it's a bigger deal. We don't have it all the time. We don't always know how to handle it. We don't always know what's happening. So let's talk about what it means to talk about quote unquote agency, because I think that's, it's, it's different than anger and it's different than power. So when we have a sense of personal agency, it's the belief or experience that I am the cause of my own thoughts or actions. So agency helps us change things in our life. It also helps us understand how we are in control of our suffering or the result of our own actions. So it's not saying that you're at fault if someone's abusing you necessarily, but we can choose the circumstances that lead us to being in those situations. And it's not about shame and blame. It's about changing. So what happens when we have agency and we have a sense of personal belief that we can create a new situation for us, it's kind of reminding us that we aren't the victim of our lives, that we can choose to be the, the driver of the chariot, okay? So agency is definitely not saying we're at fault, but it's saying how if I chose this circumstance, I can also choose to leave my circumstance. So for example, if you're someone who says yes a little too much, and then you're like so busy, you're breaking down and crying and overwhelmed and, you know, working yourself into an early grave. We are saying, I chose to do that because saying no makes me uncomfortable. Because I want other people to have an easier life than me. Okay? Once we begin to understand our agency in something like that, like all these people aren't imposing things on me. I am choosing to accept them and say yes to them. So Mars invites us to look at how we pay, play a role in our own life, our own suffering, our own powerlessness. It asks us to look at harm, the harm caused us and the harm we caused to others. That's something that Chani Nicholas has talked about in her reading this week. And I thought it was so important that I wanted to kind of reaffirm it here. Because, you know, I think this is something that if you're in recovery, you naturally do because we have this built into the 12 steps, which is like to look at our resentments and then our role in our resentments. And then we look at the harm we did other people. And the, the result of that is to make amends at the end of that process. 
you know, is to like make things right. So we can always walk down the street and keep our head held high because we don't have things that we have to clear up. All the money that we were owed, that we owe people was paid off. All the crappy things that we did to other people is taken care of. So, you know, when we're asked to examine our anger, we're not asked to suppress our anger. And it, it's important. I know I talk about anger a lot. Anger was something that was denied me quite often, not because my parents said, you can't be angry, but my parents never showed anger. And when we showed anger, it was quickly stopped. I mean, I can't even remember expressing any anger as a child. I didn't know what that was. A lot of times it just became internal and I cried because I didn't know how to express anger. I didn't know how to articulate anger. But anger is a signal to us. It's a signal to our body that there's injustice happening or there's an imbalance or there's a wound or a trigger, right? Like when we get angry because someone didn't call us back, it's not that there is an injustice there necessarily. People just don't call us back right away when we want it on our timeline. But we may have a wound or a trigger there from maybe abandonment. So we expect people to write back right away when, you know, when, when people have, been, have the abandonment wound or the, the um, orphan wound or the neglect wound, they often have attachment that's anxious, right? So that anxious attachment means that they'll like continue to call and reach out and blah, 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 even though you're like, I'm setting a boundary here. So when we see those anger, that anger, it's a signal for us that this is a place our power has been restricted. It also asks us to take accountability for our power. And this is why, you know, a lot of times when we think about where is the wisdom of this situation that I have, the, the wisdom comes in the pause and thinking about it because my wounds and triggers aren't somebody else's problem. They're my problem. So to me, that's a big deal. So I often get the message and I hear other tarot readers and spiritual coaches get the message that you should, quote unquote, step into your power. Do you guys know what that means? Because <laughs> I think it, it's very confusing. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm not stepping into my power. And one of the things that that means is that we have sovereignty and agency. Our power is not about holding it back or letting it be known or, you know, wielding a huge sword or wielding anger you know, and that's, I think, where it gets really lost when we talk about, like, I'm afraid of my power. You're afraid of your anger, not the power. Power is about sovereignty. It's about setting boundaries and making decisions without asking for all, all this feedback. We're not saying, oh, you don't like that? Okay, no, okay, I'll change it. No. Power is about making decisions that's for your highest good, despite how other people feel about it. Now, somebody, I could hear somebody say, that sounds like narcissism, Angie. It's not. It's not because when we uh, factor in everything, like for example, I am a married woman with three children, two dogs. 
you know, when I make decisions, you know, I make a decision based on what's the best for the collective. And that's really, you know, a lot of what leadership can be. It's like, let's, everybody's going to have to compromise a little bit. So we're going to make the best decision for all involved. And I'm going to make that decision. I'm not going to let the whiniest person or the angriest person or the violent person get to set the thing that's, that we're going to do. What we're going to do is figure it out as, as a leader, you figure out what's best for you and everybody involved. But I think it's really hard work, especially for women. Um, and that does, does no diss on men, but we are often um, taught to be nice and polite and deferring and always say yes and be helpful and be quiet and not make a fuss and all of that. You know, I think men are taught other. They're giving other toxic um, traits like um, don't express your emotions, don't stand up and, uh, you know, challenge somebody unless you want to get into a fight you know, those, how, how do you how do you communicate this information as part of what Gemini is here to teach us so one of the things I think is, is really interesting in this trend I see like on TikTok with some of the younger women they're saying you know fuck politeness because in their mind politeness is how violent crimes are perpetuated by strangers they take advantage of that cultural norm of being nice and then women end up giving people the benefit of the doubt, even though their gut instinct says not to. They want to help, even though they know it's dangerous. They're afraid of upsetting a stranger, even though that's going to keep them safe. We underestimate um, people in that way, you know, that, that, that they're not being that manipulative, right? But they are. Some people are. So it's not easy to be strong. I mean, I was not raised to deal with confrontation. You know, I, I, anger was suppressed in my family. So not surprising that when anger started erupting out of me as a teenager, it was dealt with in unhealthy ways, screaming and um, walking out and not talking to people. <laughs> you know, those are immature ways of dealing with anger, you know. Mars retrograde gives us opportunities to look at anger and rage and then figure out how to deal with it in a way that doesn't burn a bridge you will need to cross later. And I have to say that most bridges you probably will need to cross at some point. When we burn bridges, it means we are like cutting ourselves off from a whole part of the world. Okay? So that's usually not the best way to deal with things, even if you're justified and even if the other person is an asshole. When you understand your agency and how to engage with your agency in the world, then you come to peace with your Mars, wherever that is. So look at where Mars is in your chart, and there's lots of free apps to figure out where your planets are and what house they fall in. For me, my Mars is in my 12th house, and it's also in Taurus, which is really not a great placement. It's a struggle. And, you know... Uh, the 12th house is one that deals with like death and sleeping and dreaming and all that stuff. And like, I, I literally have insomnia right now. So that, that happens. Um, but retrogrades happen and they happen in every planet. And when it happens, it's the time to think about these things. This is the time when we're going to think about confrontation because 
they're go it's going to start coming up. Okay. So anytime, um, Mars is in retrograde, it, it invites us to scrutinize our anger. It also invites us, especially because Gemini's here, to hold our tongues. Gemini's a little chitty chatty, verbal and gossipy uh, planet. So in recovery, we call this having restraint of pen and tongue. We need to figure out our anger without unleashing it in the world because it does need release and it needs scrutiny but it doesn't have to involve other people it doesn't have to take hostages right our anger isn't always about another person even though that person might be involved for example let's go back to that i say yes a little too much i can't get mad at people who just ask for a favor i say yes do it and then get mad that they asked me for a favor because it was my option of saying no. So if someone asked me again for something, because every time they've asked me, I've said yes, I would pause because I'd probably get angry right away. It's a, a first emotion for a lot of us. And then I would scrutinize, why are you angry? Because that's the point of Mars retrograde, where need to look at like where that anger is actually from and how we contributed to the situation. How have we let our boundaries down? So, you know, oftentimes our heat must find outlets of release. I just, you know, it's probably not the best to just fire off an email, make a phone call, send a text, take a moment because our rage wants to be noticed. It wants to say our piece and it wants to be seen. And, you know, you can say, I see you, Rage, I see you, write out that email on, in, in, in a Word document. I, I have a Word document that says, things I want to say on Facebook that I can't say. <laughs> and I just write, like, when someone's having an argument and, like, they're really upsetting me, I'll, like, write a whole freaking response and then cut and paste it into Word and I'll sit with it and wait a day. And if I still want to send it, I'll look. Because a lot of times, if you see like a really hot post on Facebook where everybody's arguing about politics, it's like because everyone's sitting there in front of their TV, maybe they're drunk, and they're shooting off their mouth at someone they don't know. So like the next day, there's no fire to it. No one's continuing the argument. Gemini, you know, Gemini's influence here, because... It is that it's chatty, that it's gossipy, that it's verbal, and we have to figure out how to channel that so that we also don't hurt other people. So Gemini wants to be heard and refuses to be written off, but we can't do it with the person that we're angry at right at this moment. This is the rub. How do we process and release anger, resentment, bitterness, rage, keep boundaries, release those emotions without releasing it onto other people? Because this Mars in retrograde deconstructs thoughts, beliefs, and ideas contributing to your own suffering. And then conversely, the suffering reap on others. How much worse is it when we have to then clean up the mess of a justifiable anger onto someone else that had nothing to do with them? Okay? So we're constantly thinking, like, is this fair? Are we being fair here? When we tell someone one thing but expect another, is that fair? 
hey, no, it's fine. You don't have to pay me. And then turn around to our neighbor and go, like, I can't believe they didn't pay me. <laughs> Those things aren't fair. And they're not that other person's fault. So these are the things we start thinking about because we start thinking about and deconstructing our own relationship to being angry and our own relationship to our boundaries being crossed and agency and strength and what we want out of our life. So this is a reprioritization time too. Some of the challenge of retrograde is that misinformation, conspiracy theories, polarized thinking and misplaced anger comes up. So again, the wisdom is in the pause. Pause, count, re-examine. This is going to get exhausting, I promise you. It's, it's exhausting already. It's, been, it's day one and it's exhausting. <laughs> but this is the work where we move from one level of emotional intelligence to the next. So we're going to kind of, I'm going to remind you that the wisdom is in the pause. So we're going to react, not respond. Or we're not going to react. We're going to respond. We're going to pause. That's what we say in recovery. React. Don't react. Respond. I mean, you can think of yourself as almost being like a, a detective of yourself. You know, you're looking at every confrontation, every anger in a thoughtful, deep fact-based analysis, going to research. And like Byron Katie says, like, is that true? Are you really sure it's true? You know, a lot of people think conspiracy theories are just like wild out there things. But conspiracy theories really are like, do you think people are against you? Because <laughs> like I have readings with people all the time and, you know, they're like at work, everybody is like conspiring against me. They're all talking to each other and talking about me. Do you know that for sure? You know, and that's a really good question. Another really good question to ask before you say something is, what is my goal in saying this? There's a really great TikTok that I saw just this weekend about this where this somebody said, oh, I like Futurama. And the other woman said, I hate Futurama. And the woman left and her friend said, why did you say that? Why did you say you hate Futurama? You just shit all over her. Like, what was your goal in saying that? And she's like, I had, she's like, I just wanted to tell like that I didn't like it. It's like, yeah, but you just shit all over what she had to say. Like, what is your goal in responding the way you want to respond? And once you start thinking about it and thinking about like, this is my agency, you know, <laughs> this is where I have my power now what's my goal in saying this? Are you asking someone to keep your boundary for you? That's a great question, right? Like when you, let's use that example I said, you know, someone is saying, is asking you to help out and you have said yes every time and you're resentful, you're ready to say no. Are you going to confront them and say, why are you always asking me to help you? At, or are you going to say, you know, maybe I should say no. Like that other person is just doing them. They just are, need help. Maybe they need to look at their own agency and that's not your job to do. Your job is to worry about your agency. And so, you know, what is your goal in accusing them, you know, of trying to sabotage your boundary? 
It's not their job to keep your boundary. It's your job to keep your boundary. And I think this is where we're going to be for the next couple of months until January. So, you know, we're just invited to like sharpen our critical thinking, to pick out truths, to look at things, to be self-aware. And I can just say that that's not easy. We take two steps back, three steps, four, yeah, three steps back and two steps forward. And we keep trying, you know, you're going to make mistakes. But, you know, once we start doing this process and pausing, it actually becomes quite easy because not saying something is a response or saying, you know what? I feel a little like I have to think about my response. Let's talk tomorrow, you know, or I I was caught a little off guard by this. Let me think about things and then I'll get back to you. I've said that a couple of times in the past couple of weeks and it's been really hard because I'm, I'm usually a yes person, but I've been feeling super overwhelmed. And I have to think about that for myself too. So this isn't just like, the work of you guys is <laughs> my work too. And every month it's the same. It's my work too, which is why I share so many personal anecdotes usually when I do readings and when I do all this kind of stuff because it's important to know that everybody goes through this. You know, there's never a point where you're going to be like, I'm cured. I am the best human ever. Now I get to go out into the world. That doesn't happen. So let's talk about the other stuff in November since I talked for 25 minutes about that. So other stuff is there's a total lunar eclipse in Taurus, November 8th, and that's going to be conjunct with Uranus and sit in opposition to the Sun, Mercury, and Venus, and Scorpio. So yeah, it's going to be a a little a lot. So um, we are going to be looking at our give and take, our emotional energy balance and our energy balance. So um it's pretty, pretty good chance that you're going to try to set yourself free of some stuff that feels really um, binding and uh, just do it in a way that doesn't burn the bridge, remember? Even if it's someone you never, ever want to talk to again, you don't want to be the asshole who blew up the bridge, okay? I'm just saying. So after we journey kind of to the underworld of our anger with Scorpio, Sagittarius comes in in the middle of the month because it's Sagittarius season, <laughs> mid mid uh, November. I, I should say November twenty second. I think November twenty third this this year. Sagittarius is uh, a mutable sun sign, and so we are just leaving like this uh, fixed Scorpio, and we're moving to a mutable Sagittarius. That brings a lot of vitality. It's curious. It loves travel. It loves love seizes the day. Not really big on long-term commitments, but that's cool because we're moving into Sagittarius and that will feel much lighter than the Scorpio energy. Jupiter's also stationing direct with the new moon on the 23rd. So you have uh, the sun moving from Scorpio to Sagittarius on the 22nd and then a new moon on the 23rd. Jupiter's also stationing direct that day and that's going to bring in a little more gentleness so you know the takeaway from the astrology is this month and and the next two months three months is is dominated by mars retrograde in gemini so take inventory of the harms you felt were done to you the harms you caused others reflect on your agency 
how choices led to those harms, examine how to set and hold boundaries, take accountability for your actions. Um, and, you know, that means like looking at your side of the street, not the other person's side of the street, which is something also we say in, in recovery. But um, if you are terrible at confrontation and conflict, then this might be a really good time to think about like how you can learn more about conflict resolution and how to talk about your anger and in, in, in boundary keeping. So we're going to pause. We're going to take deep breaths. We're going to give our opinions time to marinate and figure out why we feel like we need to give our opinion at all. We're going to reinforce our commitment to self-care because really, God, this is a lot. <laughs> so um, I think one of the things that can be really awesome about Gemini is that it's curious and it looks and asks questions and and if you ever talk to a Gemini it's like being interviewed you know they're really curious about everything so that's a really great way to stay humble amidst all the like hot Mars energy so the card I pulled this month, I, you can't make this up. As my friend Pamela always says, you cannot make this shit up. Um, but it's what really led me to focus the beginning part of this on Mars and Mars's issues is good goddess. I pulled the eight of swords. And yes, that is the card of the woman bound, her eyes covered. She's in a jail of swords. So the eight of swords is a card of feeling trapped, restricted, and beholden to other people's whims. This is often the card we call the victim and the martyr card because this comes up when people have constraints, usually self-imposed constraints. She's tied up, not too tightly. She's on a beach with puddles of water. She's standing in mud. Mud's always like um, a symbol of shame. And water is always symbolic of emotions in the tarot iconography. She can't see a way forward because she's blindfolded. And blindfolds usually mean confusion in tarot. So she's being held back. And I also imagine that she was probably told that she's in prison. Though we can see that it's a prison of swords and it's not tight. Like you can just walk out of that thing. But she doesn't know. I mean, I think it's kind of like that elephant paradox, whereas babies... Uh, circuses used to chain the elephant to a pole because they weren't strong enough to get out. But as adults, they certainly are, but they still believe they cannot. And that's the thing. That's the rub of the swords. Swords are a really interesting suit because they represent air. So in um, symbology, like air represents thoughts and words and intellect. And yet every one of the pips of the swords is challenging to one degree or another. Even the great ones are a little challenging. So my thoughts on the suit of swords kind of has erupt, you know, evolved out of my understanding of religion, which is, it's a long about, I, I don't even know if I can get into it all, but um, it's what I imagine the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn came up around in the history of the world. So there's the Enlightenment period, in the starting basically in the 18th century the enlightenment is like the age of reason and it's defined as a period of rigorous scientific political and philosophical discourse that basically categorized 
the change of European society into like the quote unquote modern time, right? It's like, that's old time. Now we're in this modern enlightenment period. When we think of enlightenment, we think of like John Locke and Henry Rousseau and um, the enlightenment emphasis on reason really shaped everything. Philosophy, religion, political, scientific discourse from really the late 17th century to the, to the 19th century. So this is a period of huge change in thought and reason. There was a move away from mysticism. It was in favor of exploration and individualism and tolerance and scientific endeavor. And then in tandem, there's all these developments in industry and, and politics. And the, so the modern world is really built on the back of the Enlightenment, okay, and all of that philosophy. John Locke believed, and he's basically the one who started kicking this off, like he believed reason and human consciousness were gateways to contentment and liberty. And so he kind of demolished this idea that human knowledge was pre-programmed and mystical. And when you get into that, that's why you see a lot of fall of the monarchy around the Enlightenment period. People are saying, like, there's nothing particularly godlike about this king. He's just a dude that we've decided is the king. Why? He, he's, you know, and, and this is kind of the um, way that Enlightenment thought. And so there was a direct conflict with mysticism. There was a direct conflict with um, religion. And so you see, and this is something I just went on a huge tangent when in my tarot class, but you see a lot of these religions coming up that renounce modernity, right? Not that, that Amish and Mennonite, the Anabaptists didn't come up exactly at that time, but they're taking on and rejecting of some modern conveniences. It happens right at the beginning of the 18th, or the, um, sorry, the, the 19th century, or, they, you know, or maybe it's the 18th century, like 1787, I think. They basically said, like, we're not doing buttons, you know, man. No, we're not doing zippers, none of that stuff. <laughs> because they were rejecting enlightenment in some ways, okay? You see it with the, the uh, Mennonite, with the Amish, you see it with the Hasidim. They all came up around the same time. They're all kind of born in the 18th century as a direct practice that rejected this idea of your thoughts being the most important thing. So the philosophy of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was that they practiced and initiated people into magic to enrich their connection with the spiritual realm of being. So enlightenment basically is like, nope, that doesn't happen. But you have these spiritualists coming up trying to meld enlightenment with these ideas. Okay, so they're like the ones that are trying to measure how how much the soul weighs to prove that the soul exists. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which came up in like the later part of the 19th century, is really, you know, influenced by that. They were Masons. So they, they had influences from Christian mysticism, Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism, Hermeticism, the religion of ancient Egypt, which was very mystical, uh, alchemy, theosophy, Enochian magic, Renaissance uh, grimoires. They took mysticism from all those influences and they wove them together. So they basically took all the mystical practices and put them together. So they were very, very, very suspicious of the overly intellectual. They felt the mind was a trap that directed you away from the spiritual. Okay, 
the scientists were the ones saying like, yeah, that's all made up. So why am I telling you that? Because this card beautifully reflects this. The eight represents how the mind, the eight of swords rep represents how the mind keeps us blindfolded and bound and trapped. Not the outside influence. There's no one there. The inside influence. So this is where agency becomes so important and why I believe Mars retrograde is going to be doing a number on us this month because it's time to step into your power. And the first step to doing that is to acknowledge the ways in which you gave your power away, feel stuck because of someone's emotional manipulation, shame, or abuse. Mars retrograde reminds you, you do have agency. So once we take the blindfold off and sit with our situation, where can you wield your power and boundaries in a way that liberates you and frees you from self-limiting thoughts or thoughts that dim your light? Some allies that came forth that'll really support you are the crystals. I mean, all of it just made so much sense this month. So Labradorite, Sestona, Magic, and Shadow, that came forth this month. We talk about power. We don't often talk about intuition, but our gut is the one that tells us what to do and what not to do. So it pushes us to say like, I don't know, this person doesn't seem right. I'm still like, maybe I should just trust them because like, yeah, I don't know, because they really want me to. <laughs> and then we find ourselves tied up in the beach and our gut's going like, oh my God, I told you this shit would happen. So Labradorite activates all the chakras and it re works really well for like dream work, intuition, psychic work, meditation. It's the thing that's going to be protective and reflective. So it's going to show you about you. It is the gatekeeper of shadow work. It's the one that you go through. That you can like journey into Labradorite and with Labradorite. The second stone that came up is Larimar. Now, Larimar is a very watery stone. It has super calming, nurturing energy. Watery stones are very good for anger. They're also good for anything that is like angry on the body, like blisters or sunburn or a fever or an infection they're good for cooling hot conditions so aquamarine is good if you don't have larimar or angelite is good if you don't have larimar our third stone that came forth is sunstone now that's a stone of masculine solar energy and leadership that's what's going to strengthen your agency autonomy leadership and creative energy it's a stone to use when you want to transform anger into action that's meaningful and a lot of times, you know, when I said we got to sit with our anger, blah, 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 our anger does need to get processed. So somatic processing of anger is actually really good. Working out, walking, dancing, um, throwing things, lifting weights, um, you know, just, just getting it out. It helps the body process it. So those are our stones. I wouldn't have necessarily said that, that, that. But once they all came, I was like, yes, please, sir. That's wonderful. Our plant ally is an old uh, spiced cabinet favorite, Time, <laughs> like T-H-Y-M-E. Time is on our side <laughs> this month. So time is burned to attract good health. It's also worn for this pur purpose. It's used in healing spells. It's used beneath the pillow to ensure restful sleep. So I'm using that tonight and protect from nightmares. But time is also good with psychic powers. It's good to like attract people. It's also a purification herb. The Greeks burned it in their temples to purify them. So you can use it for cleansing, especially if you're looking for alternatives uh, for, for smoke cleansing. Um, 
time is also carried and smelled to give courage and energy. So it's great to do that work with time on your side. So our animal this month is one I actually have never specifically worked with, but in a secondary way I have because um, I work with bear. And so salmon is our guide for November. Yes, salmon. Yeah, the thing you eat when you go out to dinner is our guide. (laughs) So if you work with an apex predator as your main animal guide, you also work with their prey. So if you have hog medicine, you probably also have mouse medicine. Um, They're like yin and yang. And so when we work with salmon, um, we also can work with bear. So, but I, I love we're, I, I love that we're working with salmon because we're in November. We're in the middle of autumn, and autumn is situated in the west on the medicine wheel. It's a direction of deep emotions, of water, of intuition and instinct. This watery place is often um, working with guides of the water because these are about emotional journeys. So salmon comes in as a guide for perseverance determination, instinct, and survival. Salmon travels, may travel, doesn't always, but travels up to a thousand miles to the place they were born to breed. And that's kind of the medicine that most people know salmon as. They see them in pictures of them jumping. You know, salmon are so strong that they can actually jump up like 10 to 12 feet. And they go back to this place that were born to lay their eggs. So they do that through their sense of smell by watching the moon cycles. They know the currents. So when the female returns home, she lays 5,000 eggs. And once her eggs are laid, because that journey is so exhausting, she actually dies at the place that she was born. So salmon is, is revered and respected as a sacred animal, not just here, but all, you know, all through uh, Celtic and Druid thought too, you see salmon as a wisdom keeper. The tribes of the Northwest revered that journey. And they, the sh- shaman's job is to make peace with salmon in the river. And they make the prayers so that all the salmon make it to their breeding ground. So, I mean, I love that they're honored you know, they're honored as wisdom keepers and sacrificers. They sacrifice of themselves. So Celtic tales um, tell of salmon that lived in a sacred well and was the source of the river that flowed past these ancient Druid temples. And the salmon would feed on hazelnuts, the source of wisdom. So they were considered in Druid thought and Celtic thought, the oldest and wisest of animals. So our journey this month will be to reflect on our own journeys and our own voyages through life, to examine our instincts, to look at our perseverance. Yes, I am also going to look at anger, but I'm going to look at it through self-sabotage, through our instincts to keep ourselves small and not in our power, and look at the ways in which we can mitigate moving through Mars retrograde and Salmon's going to be a wonderful guide for that. And I'm very excited to journey into the water again um, as we travel. I actually might be journeying into the middle world with this one. So most of you have not traveled to the middle world with me because I always go lower or upper um, because that's usually 
what's recommended, but um, I'm just feeling like we're staying in the middle world this time and looking at life, our life. So that'll be interesting too. So if you don't know uh, about my membership, that's where I give my journey of the month to people who want to journey with me and want to learn from me. So I do a reading at the full moon, the new moon, and at um, about the mid, like the 10th of the month, I give the journey out and I record it. So it's a shamanic journey that you can listen to on your own. It's about a half an hour. Usually I try to do an introduction with medicine, the medicine, all the wisdom, all the legends and myths and religions that have, of and that feature the animal that we're journeying with and then the journey itself. So um, it is really great. And I have a membership group in Facebook where I come in and pull cards sometimes and do stuff like that. So you can check that all at my website, angieinks.com or themoonandstone.com. And you can always send me questions and emails at angie at themoonandstone.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie Yinkst. If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows, you can send them to angie at themoonandstone.com. <laughs>